what inspires me? What makes me feel alive? Those are the kinds of questions that when you're looking for that spiritual connection to bring in the spirit, body, mind, spirit, link it up, that's opening to the space around you. The space around you is bigger than you. And those techniques help the brain waves to help your body relax and connect, starts to connect you to spirit. I'm Morgan Sevney, owner of Prospect Tide Yoga and your What Yogis Know host. Join me as I interview yoga instructors with knowledge and wisdom to share that reaches far beyond the mat. If you're looking for a little motivation to apply to your own life or to share with those around you, What Yogis Know is for you. In this episode, I am talking with Ellen Sevney and I'm so excited. Yes, in addition to being a yoga instructor, Ellen is my sister. And she's up to some really, really cool stuff. So, yeah, let's get into it. Ellen, how did you become a yoga instructor? Oh, well, it's a long story. No, Great. It's a pretty quick story. Okay. I played water polo in college. I was a D1 athlete, and I was going to go to Australia to play professional water polo. That was my life plan after college. And some things in my life changed. And I didn't want to go to Australia. I was going to go with someone else and that person didn't want to go anymore. And I was just, no, I can't do it. And I don't want to. And my body was hurting in certain ways. It's a lot on your body. So I wanted, I made a list of all the things that I loved and yoga was one of them. And I made a list of goals. And at that time, being a yoga teacher was a five-year goal and I just moved it up. So I went down to Costa Rica. I found this program online. So I really took a big gamble on this. And I I went to Costa Rica and I had the most amazing experience. I, I studied in the jungle um, with these two amazing teachers, Don and Amba Stapleton. And they are from the Kripala lineage. And Amba does this sweaty, hot jungle flow, loud music, and it's really like fast paced and organic and feels so good and Don does a style of therapeutic yoga that's really like or infantile movement so you're just like moving one shoulder at a time and it's really deep kind of meditative slow yoga therapeutic work so it was the perfect combination for me because I both need that fiery hot energy moving practice to get still and then Don's work would just help me really really relax. You became a yoga instructor. You went down to, the program is called Nosara, right? It's Nosara Yoga Institute. And I think that new teachers are leading it, but they're teachers who have studied with Don and Amba for years and years and years. So they're really well-versed in their work. Cool. Very cool. And then, so you went there, you got your training, and then what did you do with your training? Oh, well, (laughs) so I went home. I lived in, I'm from Acadia National Park. We are from Acadia National Park area. Uh, And let's see, I can't tell you why I decided to do this, but I I just went and opened um, a business. I called it Yoga in Your Park um, or Yoga in the Park. And we just started, I just started teaching outside and had a lot of success with it, actually. I taught 16 person classes, which I don't even teach today. I didn't know that that was like a really big class, a big size. Yeah. And it just made me feel so good. I had a lot of fear of speaking in front of people and I had a lot of 
stage fright stuffs. But when I taught outside, I would go in feeling incredibly nervous, but something about nature, which, you know, studies show, it helps you calm down within five minutes. It lowers your blood pressure and cortisol levels. So I think the being outside part really helped and supported me in being able to be in front of these people and teach them yoga. I get that. That's cool. Yeah. And then you started yoga in your park. I know that yoga in your park only runs in the summertime because mm-hmm. in Maine in the wintertime, it's way too cold to practice yoga outside. So what, yeah. what happened after that? So we did it every summer. We still do it every summer. I think we've taken one summer off since 2009. And I ended up hiring other people to teach the actual classes. And sometimes when I go home, I still teach a class just to visit. And it's so inspiring and feels so good. We tried to replicate that program in other cities and we had some success with it. But the there's something about Acadia National Park that's just so magical where it really works. Because I think on some level, the park is super integrated with the town. So you can be in Bar Harbor, drive 15 minutes, be on Sand Beach, drive, go back to Bar Harbor, drive another 20 up a mountain, and you're at the top of Cadillac. Or you could be on the other side of the island where we grew up, and one end of the lake is residential, the other end of the lake is the park. So I think being that integrated and then the park being so special and beautiful is part of what makes yoga in your park. We change the 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 to your yoga in your park so successful there. I went to grad school at Naropa. It's the only Buddhist university in North America, which is pretty cool. It was founded by a Tibetan monk named Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. And (laughs) (laughs) And I, I studied contemplative psychotherapy. I actually saw an ad for that in Yoga Journal. So I was looking at Yoga Journal and I saw this like tiny little ad for Naropa University. And I was like, oh. I have to go there. I didn't know why. I just felt so inspired by it. So I tried to do a research position there when I was an undergrad and school at the time wouldn't give me credit for it. So I decided not to do it and decided to go to grad school there instead, which I think was a really good choice, actually, not knowing that at the time, but I was disappointed for sure. (laughs) Yeah. What did what was your big takeaways from your time at Naropa? Yes, I learned how to sit still. <laughs> I was, uh, I had, I used to have to. I mean, we ran a marathon together. I had a lot, and, <laughs> and so part of my curriculum was to go on two week silent meditation retreats. And the first one that I ever did, I didn't drive myself. It was up in this mountain area, and. I was so stressed from sitting that I was imagining and fantasizing about packing my bags and rolling my little suitcase down these miles and miles of dirt road to get out of there. It was so hard. It was harder than water polo. It was one of the hardest things to date that I've done in my life, that first two-week retreat. But eventually, I was sitting there like this, and they would be like, sit. (laughs) I'd be like, oh. But what I learned was that There were some things in my life that I couldn't sit with in my mind. And so I made some changes in my life and then I could sit. And I, there was some sort of breakthrough in, in there for me where, you know, the reward on the other side was that I got a new level of being with myself that I didn't actually get just from yoga. So in, in yoga, I was still able to move. So I didn't really have to stay with the discomfort of just being with my thoughts 
if that makes sense. That does make sense. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Great experience. Yeah, so easy. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think that sitting with other people, and I think yoga is the same. So, you know, in America, I don't know how they do it in India. I've never been. But in America, we, you know, people have a home practice or they go to a studio and take a class with a bunch of people. And I think just maybe anything, when you're with other people, there's a little bit more pressure, social pressure and accountability. So you end up practicing for longer. For me, I had my education tied to this experience. So if I left, I would have to come back and start again from the beginning to get my degree, or I would have to drop out. And that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to graduate. So I think tying something bigger than just yourself to that is really helpful. I didn't know that going in, that it would be so hard, but <laughs> that's what I learned. <laughs> what a fantastic lesson. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that with me. Absolutely. <laughs> I noticed earlier that you were saying when you came back and you were teaching in, in Acadia National Park with yoga in your park, you had stage fright. Yeah. Which I know that you're a performer now. So <laughs> something must have shifted in that. Can you tell me your evolution after Naropa? Go from, you know, yoga in your park, teaching in front of 16 to playing. I already played a show recently in front of over 100 people. A pretty big jump. What was the transition like there? Well, something that I noticed that was kind of interesting was that every time I would go on one of these retreats like when I was in Nosara actually I wrote my first song so after that month of doing yoga I was songwriting and I didn't realize that that was so important to me I just it just kind of came out and then it would go away and then I would do like a retreat I did the retreat at Naropa and every time I would go up there and get quiet I would write songs and sing them and and that felt really good but I wouldn't do it in my normal life and I think it was just kind of a process of opening after Naropa I went to Alaska and in Alaska oh my god next most challenging part of my life I was by myself up there and I had this really dark winter where I spent a lot of time inside by myself, you know, 4 p.m. to the morning time when I would go to work and most weekends. And talk about being still with yourself. <laughs> I came out of that and I was, okay, Ellen, what do you actually want to do with your life? And I think I ask myself that a lot. You know, it's a directional thing. Like, what, what's next? I think that's really normal for humans. I realized that I had kind of been building my life and living my life according to what I imagined other people wanted for me. So that made me a therapist and I was really well respected in my community and I was good at it. It was definitely, you know, the right career in terms of picking something that matched my skills. I had skills that clinicians who had been working for a really long time had just sort of, I don't know if it was Naropa training or part of my personality, like this combination of kind of willing to say what I thought I saw, you know, the hard things and sort of this ambition to be really good at my job. So like the notes and all that, and then also the, the heart of compassion, you know, feeling with someone. And so getting a real sense of them and using the language that allows me to check in 
with them to see if it's right for them too, if it lands. So it's not aggressive. So I came out of that and I was, okay, you know, if it's just me and I want to choose what I want to do with my life, how am I going to know what that is? So I thought, well, I'll just start listening to spirit or you could call it intuition. And I heard sing more, sing more, just sing more. So I started going to this open mic and I was still terrified (laughs) and I would sweat and cry and drop the guitar and people were so kind to me. I'd forget the words because when you're stressed out, your mind goes blank. And I just, I would love to say like, people are like, oh, you just keep doing it and you push on through. And for me, that was not the case. I kept doing it and having the same experience of meltdown over and over and over again. And there's something in me, I hate this quality in me still a little bit. It's tenacity and it's so annoying. The reason I hate it is because it bothers people because tenacity is gonna be like, hey Morgan, do you wanna do this thing with me? And you're like, no thanks. And I'm like, cool, hey Morgan. (laughs) do the thing with me it's been 30 minutes you might have a different answer now you might be a totally different person and it's just annoying right i actually i understand how someone could see tenacity as annoying and also tenacity is actually a fantastic quality if what you're if what you're bringing to the table is something that is important to you Exactly. So there was something inside of me that was, I am going to sing. And body, I know that you get stressed out when we do this, but we are doing this. First of all, I was super committed and you can't, and no one can do that for you. You have to do that for yourself. You have to, that was for me, that was my thing. I was going to do that thing. But for someone else, I've tried to bring on performers and be the tenacity for them. It doesn't work. They have to have the drive for whatever it is that they want to do that no one's going to get in their way and stop them for. So you can't have it for someone else either, which is where tenacity gets troublesome. For me, I was, I'm going that way and I'm going to figure out how to do it. So I started working with a coach and it, again, it was like a meditation, meditation instruction. It's a toning system where you use different vowel sounds for different parts of your body. And then you find, you know, most people think, oh, the, if your throat's, you're not able to sing. If you get choked up, if you cry when you're trying to sing, it's your throat chakra. You have like a blockage in your throat chakra. That's what people say about it. Okay. That's not the case. There could be blockage or tension anywhere in your system. And because the throat is such a small channel to pass through, that it can get stuck and blocked. So a lot of my tension and blockages were actually at my root chakra. And in using these practices, I got up every day and I did it for a couple hours. And it's, you know, you set the intention, you see the image in your mind. And I was obsessed with playing Red Rocks at the time. You see it in your mind, say it out loud, you feel it in your body, and then you tune to it. So I don't know, you know, there's no science yet, as I, as I know. I know that musical tones can help your body relax. I know that the sound of your own voice is very healing. Like a cat's purr heals the cat. Your own voice can heal your own body. So there might have been some of that. But I actually don't know if it, you know, intention is part of yoga. And it's said to be the most powerful creator. If you're seeing it, saying it, feeling it, and training your body to have this experience of openness and 
I mean, imagining me playing Red Rocks, I was so full of joy and so exciting and wow, expansive. So I was training my body to feel those feelings. And then maybe the tones, I don't know if the vowel sounds, I wonder if they're placebo and they just work because I thought they were working or if they were actually each tone and each chakra has a certain sound uh is the root chakra and it's because of the way that your mouth is shaped uh it sends the sound wave down and if you said e it would send the sound wave up to the top of your head feel that if you put your hand on the top of your head and you go e uh e uh (laughs) so you can feel one vibrates your hand more yeah e does and e sends the sound wave up so it's the idea anyway behind it is that, and it's not been tested, is that the sound wave is directed to a certain part of your body by the shape of your mouth, which could allow it to have more healing power for that area. And there were some really cool and interesting cases. I started to teach that work and people who had had like severe sexual trauma wouldn't be able to sing ooh, which is the sound for the creative center. Or someone with, you know, a bloated belly wouldn't be able to sound Oh, and that's the digestive area. But then you work around that. So you would sing sounds that surround that chakra and then work in the chakra. So kind of like massage, you don't go straight for the most tight muscle. You go around it and then you work into the the tension. You can release the tension and then there's improvement and that shows up in life as well as in the body. Cool. For me, what you're doing is just painting this amazing picture of the connectedness between healing, yoga, and music. As well. Yeah. I can totally see how that path would, you know, your path would evolve. That's awesome. Thank you. People, people ask me, how did you do that? You know, go from being so afraid to not being afraid. And I... I think I just used that tool. I was really committed and then I did keep doing it and, you know, reaching out to people and asking if I could play and, you know, really wanting to sing everywhere and all the time. (laughs) So yeah. And now, you know, when I do go on stage, sometimes I'll get butterflies. It's sort of mysterious to me right now because it's, there's not a consistent pattern of how I get afraid. Sometimes I get excited. Sometimes I get really scared again and I'll have to soothe myself. Sometimes I'll feel just elated to have the opportunity. I'm really in love with my songs and my voice. So it all depends. You are remarkable. That is so awesome. (laughs) And having that tenacity, which I don't think is annoying at all. I think it's really cool. It's, It's something that many people strive for, especially... I work around a lot of people in just various businesses and there was, oh, how do I find that drive to get up and do this? And how do I consistently do that? And that's what you do is you know what you want and you're doing it. And then even when there's an evolution to it, you know what you want, you do it. And then you know what you want again and you do it. So what are you up to these days? Do you, do you still teach yoga? I do. We're, (laughs) actually in the process of developing an outdoor yoga training. So, you know, so people, there are some challenges to teaching outside that are different than teaching in a studio. And I would love for people to be able to comfortably share that. I always just assumed that people would figure it out, but I think there's something to me that's a little scrappy and resourceful 
and willing to embrace discomfort that's not everybody. So for people who need support in learning how to work with nature, how to teach outside and deal with the elements and help them integrate into the class's lessons, like there's so many lessons in nature that can be revealed to us through our practice. And then also just kind of distilling all of this knowledge that's come through all these wisdom traditions that I've gotten to be a part of from like our early life with our mom as presence and healing all the way through to Chogam Chompa Rinpoche at Naropa and other Tibetan Buddhist teachers that I've been privileged, I think, to meet. I've had a very spiritual path and I feel I have a lot to give back in that realm that's different than what's currently out there. I think sometimes our new age sort of spiritual belief systems take complicated things and make them almost too simple or they get almost righteous and judgmental. And I know that very well because I've experienced that in myself, this kind of righteousness and aggression. And gosh, it's so hard to say. I feel like I've been kind of on the line of, you know, if there's a depth to the new age culture, I'm here in it because I think that there's some really problematic cultural issues that we face about telling other people what is the truth and not valuing the validity of all perspectives. And so something that's really important to me is inclusivity. And I don't think anyone in New Age would say that's not a value for them. And integrity, like, you know, showing up when you and doing what you say you're going to do makes you powerful. And I feel like sometimes in the yoga industry, we get into you know, I'm just taking care of myself. I'm just being me and I'm just protecting myself. And I think that's important. And I think, you know, we're in relationships. So how do we navigate, you know, your needs and wants with my needs and wants, even when I don't think what you want is good. We can have a disagreement and still be in a compassionate, loving relationship. So I don't feel like I articulated what I really feel. I think I'm going to have to think about what is it? If there's something that rubs me wrong about the way that yoga has been taken by Americans. There's something very painful for me in it's almost cultural appropriation. I think that's the word where we've taken this ancient, beautiful practice that was given to us. Teachers came over. They said it used to be transmission class. Watch me do my yoga practice. The students would sit around and witness and exchange with the practice and receive the translation in their own body and then go teach it and and then it was Americans like my teacher was an American student of an Indian man and he taught me and I took it and he told me Ellen take this go into the world create what you will with it let it be creative they taught a lot about creativity and the cycle of creativity and so I took it out into the world in my way in my culture And I try to stay really true to the roots of what my teachers were saying. This is about connection. This is about creative life. This is about living a life that feels really good and that's healthy. And it doesn't have to be just a month in Nosara. It could be your everyday life. But sometimes I have judgments about what other people are doing with it. Like I contacted, there's a yoga studio in town who said, we're just taking all the speed spiritual stuff out of yoga and I'm like oh my god (laughs) oh that's your creative way of doing yoga we're just gonna have nice butts (laughs) but (laughs) but it's it's okay you know it's an entry point 
I think. And the yoga itself, you don't have to go to yoga and have the teacher say, now open into your heart chakra. You can stretch your physical body and receive the benefits. So I don't think it's a bad thing, but I want to be careful and honoring the Indian roots. Someone just came back from an international yoga teacher, yoga therapeutics conference that was in India, and they had some perspectives there in India, not all, some, that said, we don't want it really to be called yoga therapy because it just is a science of healing. Isn't that redundant? And they were having this debate. So yeah, I just want to be careful to honor the roots, but also I don't know the roots. My learning was once removed, you know, from my teacher's perspective, from his teacher's perspective. So it's a little tricky. But (laughs) I trust that you can navigate it if we adopt some value systems like respectfulness and that desire to want to collaborate and include everybody and to recognize that, and this is a Tibetan Buddhist teaching, that every perspective is actually a valid perspective, even when it's not yours, and that you can hold that perspective without taking it on yourself and being like, oh yeah, I agree with you. You could just be like, I hear that you are different than me and we can both exist here. Uh, uh, Sorry, that was kind of a rant. No, that was awesome. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, That's actually something that I've heard actually from a lot of yoga instructors. Not just that, also that they've gotten into yoga, not expecting that there will be this spiritual aspect to it. So they've almost gone to it as a way of exercise. And then once they've found more depth in their practice, that's when they start to open up and say, okay, how, how, do, how do I fit in here? And, and how, can I, how can I honor the lineage mm. and also express myself and my spirituality through the practice? But that definitely there's the spiritual aspect that deepens when people practice more regularly. Yeah, I love that. It's so exciting to hear that other people are having the same experience or, yeah, going deep, going deeper. For sure. And the physical. And the physical is so important, too. So both. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what did I want to tell you? I, I, te- I still teach, like, a regular class, and I still do my meditation practices. And I, I really love Joe Dispenza right now if you wanted a resource. Who is Joe Dispenza? He wrote Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And he says that noticing in this part of yoga, your body in space um, changes your brain waves and helps you relax. So first you notice your body in space. And then you ask yourself, if I was being my ideal self today, who would I be being? And then you might get some words, ask yourself, okay, what are some of the thoughts that I don't want to be repeating or I'm going to notice today. For me lately, it's been, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. So you end up noticing the thought and saying, oh, you're tired. Okay. Stop. Like drop the thought. And then you shift your attention. So it's you're training your body into what you're creating. So if I woke up today and I I told myself that I wanted to be generous for this call, amused, because I saw this guy speak and he smiled the whole time. And it was he's so amused with himself. He's the founder of the real estate company that I work for. And 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 just like excited about life. 
And so my body was like, no, we're tired. <laughs> I hear you. You feel sick and tired. I got it. You got it. Okay, let's go back to how to be amused and generous and excited so that I can really give. And my body was, how about some coffee? A second, just wait, just hold on going to be amused and generous and excited. So it's, I think in yoga, it's about, I mean, it's always been, right? The body, mind, spirit is the three that we're yoking up, but it's working with the mind to get the body to feel the feelings that create the state of well-being. And he's had people cure their cancer, heal from injuries, change their personalities, really big results that they're studying and measuring because he's more of a science guy than a spiritual guy, although it's all connected. Very cool. Yeah. What I hear is that your words matter, not just the words that you're saying out of your mouth, although you might literally be saying out loud, I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. The words inside and then seeing them come out too. I was telling you the other day, I hate exercising. I don't want to. I don't want to. How can I shift that? When I exercise, I feel so good. And it's true. You have to pick something that's true. Because if you just try to affirm over true things, it doesn't work. You just end up repressing how you actually feel. So it yeah. include listening. Okay, I don't want to go. Fine, fine. But <laughs> what do you feel when you actually go? Oh, I feel so powerful. I feel so strong. I feel so proud of myself. What are the actual results and tapping into those as well as just the, oh, I don't want to. And it has <laughs> over the week changed. And thank you for holding that for me. It really helps. Of course, I was so excited to get your, so I got a text message one day that was, I hate exercise. I don't want to go to the gym. And then I got the next day, I was, I love exercise. I still don't want to go to the gym. And then the next day I got a text that said, I'm going to the gym. I'm so excited. I love exercise. (laughs) That was definitely, that was progress right there. And that was quick progress. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to add like one word, little tip for your listeners, if that's okay. Please. Yeah. So I think something really unique about me and some of my friends that I work with is that we have an auditory intuition that not everybody has access to. So we're learning how to speak about it in a way that helps people who don't have that naturally come to them, the listening for guidance or listening for songs or something like that. And that's the third part of that trying. It's mind, so helping the mind feel, think the thoughts that trickle into the body that create the state of well-being because we're doing it intentionally. We probably wouldn't create disease if we're intentionally creating something for ourselves. So, and then the third part is really opening to that something bigger. And there in our culture has been wars over this. People killed Christians versus Muslims and everyone's own religion says that the other one can't exist or be the right one. And this one has to be the right way. And Given that all the perspectives are valid perspectives, how do you hold some things that seem so against each other? But my encouragement for each unique person is just to open to that sense of, you know, if you don't believe in God, some some kind of universal creator, you could think community, you could think 
um, love. Those are some of the words that might come to mind when you think, what is bigger than myself that I could be devotional towards? What could I devote myself to? What do I, what inspires me? What makes me feel alive? Those are the kinds of questions that when you're looking for that spiritual connection to bring in the spirit, body, mind, spirit, link it up, that's opening to the space around you. The space around you is bigger than you. And those techniques help the brainwaves to help your body relax and connect, starts to connect you to spirit. So when I was a little kid, my mom said to me, okay, when you put your hands on this person, you, what pictures do you see in your mind? Oh, I see flowers. And she was like, oh, that's really interesting and cool. And so that's kind of how you get to those transpersonal moments of intuition. You let yourself have the picture. So, you know, even though if I saw a plant growing and the roots are like really deep and the branches go up and it's against a bright blue sky, that image might not mean anything to me or to you, but for somebody it might be important. So just to think of things that you might consider to be not important in your mind, irrelevant, to actually honor them and start listening. And it's a listening thing, but I think sometimes visual, visual is where I started at least, where you see the pictures or you hear the sounds and you, instead of rejecting them as kind of erroneous or irrelevant information, you bring them out to be shared so that if there is something in the space between us or in the field or in you that's inspired by that, then there's a possibility of having that be acknowledged. And that's how I developed that intuitive kind of empathetic, compassionate quality to myself. And so for people who want to be able to improvise and sing or write their own songs, that's how I do it is I listen. And it's almost instead of I'm doing it, I'm catching the song from the space around me because I'm hearing something in my head. And that's what Beethoven called his muse, the muse. And he would be like, in a terror, Lutus, I can't play this. It's like too hard. Can you make it different? He's like, yo, I don't care about you and your stupid flute. If I have a at my door, so intense, right? But yeah, it's just <laughs> letting it flow. Like you don't have to be as extreme as Beethoven, but. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> I guess I have a lot to say today. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for all this wisdom. If our listeners, they want to take a class with you or just to find you maybe online, you have social media stuff set up. You go to Facebook. I'm, I'm Ellen Pierce. And if you're looking for me on Instagram, I'm at the leaders of the heart. I have a couple websites because I'm involved in multiple projects. So if you want to come take a class in Acadia, it's yoganyourpark.com. If you want to do voice yoga or regular yoga with me. You can find that information on theleadersoftheheart.com. Cool. Thank you so much, Ellen. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us on this episode of What Yogis Know. Make sure you check out the show page for links to Ellen's Instagram, Facebook, website, and more. If you feel a little wiser for having heard this episode, please subscribe and share.